This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to another day here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to check us out on any social media site, X-Zone Radio TV, uh, let me see. My email address is X-Zone Radio, I'm sorry, X-Zone at X-Zone Radio TV.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com, to find out when the show is on all our affiliates, you can go to www.xzbn.com. Net. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Grant Cameron, and uh, Grant is the recipient of the Leeds Conference International Researcher of the Year Award and the UFO Congress Researcher of the Year. He became involved in ufology as the Vietnam War ended in May 1975 with a personal sighting of a UFO-type object which locally became known as Charlie Redstorm. We're going to be talking about Grant's new book entitled Charlie Redstorm later on in this hour. These sightings led to a decade of research into the early 1950s, work done by the Canadian government into the flying saucer phenomenon. Grant became the authority on the Canadian government program and Wilbert B. Smith, who headed it up. This led to an investigation of the role in the UFO cover-up by the former president of State Penn University. The results of this research became the book UFOs, Area 51, and the Government, and that was published in 1991. Grant proceeded to do almost three decades of research into the role of the President of the United States in the UFO mystery. Most of that research can be found at the President's UFO website, www.presidentialufo.com, and the recently published book, The Clinton UFO Story. And he's got a brand new book out, ExoNation, and we're going to be talking about that later on, Charlie Red Story. Uh, Red Star, I'm sorry. Grant, welcome back to the Exxon. Always great having another Canadian here. How are you doing out there in Manitoba? Just fine, Rob, and I appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. Well, you know, Grant, you're one of the hardest working uh, UFO researchers out there. And, uh, you know, like... Well, thanks. You, you, have, I, no, have no life. That makes two of us, buddy. <laughs> you know, um, what was it that got you started into this, into this long and tedious investigative research work that you've been doing into UFOs? 
Well, this is where the Charlie Red Star story comes from. That back in 1975, I was pretty young at the time. I was in university, and uh, this series of sightings started right along the Canadian-U.S. border. Went through uh, Ontario, Manitoba, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, all the nuclear weapons storage areas in all the big Air Force bases along the Canadian-U.S. border, like Loring Air Force Base, uh, Wurtz Smith Air Force Base on the Michigan border, uh, Minot in North Dakota, Maltstrom in in Montana. Uh, All these places were being visited. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was there was a small town about 35 miles southwest of Winnipeg called Carmen. And these sightings started there in February of 1975. And I can clearly say that I didn't have any interest in UFOs, never thought about extraterrestrials or anything. I was into near-death studies. I'd done a study when I was at university on on dying patients at hospitals. And I was also very interested in Edgar Cayce. So I was interested in weird-type stuff. But what happened was when these sightings started to be reported in the local media, I said to my friend, and this is in, in, in February of 1975, I said, let's go and see what everybody's looking at. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, we'll go. And we never did go. And it wasn't until May of 1975 when the local CTV affiliate here in Winnipeg actually captured this thing on the ground. And it was on the ground, and they had a crew, and there was a bunch of pilots, and all these people had this thing surrounded on the ground. And uh, the cameraman um, told me the story that he was sitting there about eight and a, eight and a quarter miles away as, he, as his people closed in on this thing. And he said it was going up and down. It was getting brighter and down. It was sitting on the ground brighter and lower and brighter. Wow. And he said, next time it brightens up, I'm going to shoot. And as he pushes the trigger, almost as if this thing knew that he was about to push the trigger, it said, are you ready? It jumped up in the air. It jumped about 5,000 feet in three frames of film. Wow. So it made this massive jump, and then it flew across the sky. And it sort of became a viral film. And they did a local documentary, about an eight-minute documentary, the TV. NBC picked up this film. And it was at that point I said to my friend, I said, come on, let's go see what they're looking at. And I always describe it as you buy the lottery ticket, you know you can win, but you know you're not going to win. And it's like, so we went out there. <laughs> I had no expectation whatsoever we'd see anything. We drove in the town of Carmen, out of the town, in the town, out of the town. We're looking around as to, you know, what is everybody looking at? What, what's? And we looked at sort of planets and stars, and we said, well, whatever it is, it's not very impressive. All right, so Grant, my, stand by, my yep. friend. We're going to have a bit of a cliffhanger here. Grant Camion, Grant, let me try this again. Grant Cameron is our special guest. And uh, you can find out all about Grant by going to Amazon.com and in the search engine, type in his name, Grant Cameron. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back with this amazing story on the other side of this break. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, 
X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back, everyone. Grant Cameron is my guest this hour, and we're talking to Grant about UFOs, and we're also talking to Grant about his new book that has just come out, Charlie Red Star. And uh, Grant is in Manitoba. You know, Grant, I was going to play Moody Manitoba Morning by the Bells for you, <laughs> but I figured you'd probably get that a lot, so I decided not to. Welcome yeah, back, my well. friend. Okay, so there you are. You're in... You're in, well, you pick up the story. You know it better than I do. Yeah. Well, well, we're in Carmen, and so my friend said this is an hour into this uh, uh, episode, and in the town, out of town, and my friend said, we're going to drive back into Carmen one more time, and if we don't see anything, we're heading back to Winnipeg. I said, fantastic. This has been a total waste of time. <laughs> we turn around. We're about a mile out of the town. We turn around to start back in, and this thing appears from the left to the right. And I always tell people, when it comes to UFO sightings, um, if you haven't seen anything, you can either believe or disbelieve. Right. It's only when you see it that you know. And so we were looking around and saying, is that what they're looking at? Is that what they're looking at? But when it appeared from the left to the right, nobody said, is that what they're looking at? Everybody just said, there it is. Everybody just instinctively knew this is mm-hmm. what this thing was. And it was not a light in the sky. It was an object. And it was down low. It was maybe a couple hundred feet off the ground, if even that. It was moving very, very slow. It was uh, looked like it was alive. It was red. It was like a like a plasma type object. So it was very very bright. You couldn't really see the edges of the thing or what its exact shape was, except that it was longer than it was high, and it was bobbing up and down. It was sort of moving in sort of an, a bobbing motion, like a like a bobber on a fishing line, and it flew right in front of the car. And I can still remember we, we it was sort of like we were yelling and screaming, and it was in very very close. And it was going in behind a set of school buses. And I remember getting out of the car while the car was still moving because I wanted to run through the ditch to the school buses to watch because I knew this thing was going to be in behind the school buses. And I remember I watched this thing sort of pulse, sort of doing this very slow pulse, red pulse, like almost like a beating heart as it flew off into the distance. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, I was just I, so I got all my friends and I said, you got to come see this. And I, you know, I recruited all my friends and we went out there and it was kind of an event where everybody in Winnipeg was out there. So you could go onto almost any side road and there was people there trying to see this thing. And so there was about 28 people the second night, uh, two nights later. And it was, uh, all my friends were there. And after an hour, they said, ah, we're, we're tired. We're going back to Winnipeg. They said, no, no, this, it's a, man, you got to see this. This will change your life. Nope, we're going back. We're hungry. We're going back to Winnipeg for pizza. I remember that. All my friends <laughs> left. There was basically two cars left, about eight people left. And I remember uh, the kids, there was, we took a bunch of kids who were about 14, 15 doing science fair projects. And they were sitting in the field and we're waiting. We don't know what to expect. And this, this suddenly there was a flash, almost like a flash cube uh, on the western horizon. And the one kid yelled out, is that it? And I went, 
I don't know, I guess so. And it started to jump around in the sky, like eight inches in the field of vision. It was jumping all over the sky, this sort of this white flashing thing in the sky. And I remember the car beside us, the guy had, when this is when motor drives first came out for cameras. Mm -hmm. And he had this Nikon camera with a motor drive on it. And there's, there was a girl in there, and she couldn't see it because it was jumping around the sky, and people were yelling. It was like a, it was like the the local football team about to score a touchdown. People <laughs> swearing and yelling and screaming as this thing was jumping around the sky, and this girl couldn't see it. So she's I, I can remember all this yelling and screaming. This girl's beside is us in their car is crying, and then I could hear this motor drive going. And he was just literally unloading the camera as this thing was coming at us. And as it came closer, the flashes got closer together. And then as it got in fairly close, it turned into this object I'd seen the first night, this red pulsing thing. And it was flying right at us. And it was maybe when it made the turn, it was maybe half a mile out. It was and it was a fairly good sized object. And it made this sort of turn and it started going to the north. And I remember the other car, they said, we're chasing it. And they got in because it was moving very, very slow. They got in. I can remember them taking off, and the gravel was flying. And a number of months later, when I decided that I had to investigate, that I couldn't figure out why nobody was investigating. The, you know, half the town apparently had seen this thing. So I started to investigate, and then I tried to track these people down uh, with these film. And I, I got very close, but never did recover that film that this guy was taking. But I spent maybe a year and a half out in Carmen documenting this story talking to people who had seen it. Nobody really wanted to talk about it, doing polls at the high school and stuff, and seeing the object a number of times myself, and then wrote the manuscript. And then what happened was the local publisher, like it was Toronto people that turned it down, which I could see, but the local Winnipeg publisher said, Mr. Cameron, you may believe in this kind of stuff. Count me among the unbelievers. And I, I was just, I was shocked. I couldn't believe that they were not going to publish this story because it was very popular in this town. And it was at that point that all I was interested in is, what did I see? Someone in this world has to know what that object was that I saw. And that's when I went to the Canadian government. I went to the former president of Penn State University. And I ended up at the president of the United States where I figured, wow, this guy's got to know what's going on. And I was looking for the answer to what I'd seen. I wasn't too much interested in sightings. And then to add to this story, at the very end, when because it wasn't published, it wasn't until 30 years later that I went back, or 35 years later, I went back. I was going to do a lecture on uh, in the United States on what I had seen. And I talked to a local uh, guy who ran the airport, who was the guy who started the industry of rebuilding old World War II planes, mm -hmm. Bob Deemer, a very famous guy. And he had 150 sightings during that period of time and had no sightings after 1976. So it's like they took the drugs out of the water. The thing just went away and it, it disappeared. And I asked him, I said, Bob, why were they in Carmen, Manitoba? What, what was this all about? And he said, you know why they were here? I told you. And I said, no, Bob, I don't know. I, he said, no, I told you. I told you why they were here. And I said, Bob, in 30 years, I looked at this phenomena. I have no idea why they appeared in this little town. He said, the nuclear missiles. I told you they were coming from the United States. And, of course, in Manitoba, we know that North Dakota has always been stated that if North Dakota had been a, a country, it would have been a nuclear superpower. And that in and I didn't know and I didn't know this until 35 years after the event, but they were 300 Minuteman three nuclear missiles with three warheads on them in the United in North Dakota. And as kids and growing up, we'd all seen these missile silos as you drive through North Dakota. And what I had learned 35 years later was that in 1975, the U.S. military. This is pre Star Wars. In 1980, Reagan built Star Wars in outer space. 
But in 1975, they had put 100 new nuclear missiles into a place called Nakoma, North Dakota, which is only 80 miles south of where all these sightings were taking place. Mm -hmm. And what it was was a bunch of nuclear missiles where they were going to try to shoot down Russian incoming missiles because the number one target of the Russians wasn't Washington. It's not Toronto. It's not Los Angeles. It's the nuclear missiles in North Dakota because unless you take out those missiles in North Dakota – you aren't going to see anything that happens after that. That's right. So it was the number one target. And they put the missiles in in February of 1975. They took them out in November of 1975. And that's exactly when the sightings took place. So there's, there's massive numbers of sightings. They took the missiles out. The sightings went away. And nobody in Carmen, as far as I know, has ever seen a UFO since. But in 75, I took a poll at the high school. I think it was 59% of the kids in the high school said they had seen something in the last two years. This was very, very popular, even though nobody wanted to talk about it. Everybody would you know, say, well, you know, uh, I saw something and it really wasn't much. And then they'd give you five names after they told you what, what they saw. But it was a big, big story in 1975. And uh, because I didn't get published, uh, somebody optioned it for a movie and it was at that point that Dundurn out of Toronto uh, decided to pick it up. So the actual story of what happened in this town, and it may be the biggest UFO flap ever. It was just absolutely massive. It was You could almost go out there at any time and see this thing flying around. What is the hypothesis of what this was? Was it a UFO? Was it uh, another country's um, military hardware that was surveying the what was going on in, in Montana? Well, the second night that I saw it, Mm -hmm. when it came directly at us and then sort of made this turn and was flying away as these people took off in the car after it, I remember at that point thinking like, wow, I mean, this this could be from another planet. It very much seemed Mm -hmm. uh, there there was no way the Americans had this kind of technology and why would they be testing it uh, in Carmen, Manitoba in the middle of of nowhere Mm -hmm. and do it so regularly. And that's what I had. But in the last number of years, I've gotten into the whole consciousness thing. And I think that I, as and a lot of people are starting to get this idea in the UFO community, that I'd be very surprised if this turned out to be ET. I think it's a little more than ET. It's almost uh, involves a lot of times it involves sort of spiritual type entities or uh, etheric type beings and stuff like that. It's almost this multidimensional thing, which is uh, very key. The, the part I'm sort of chasing now, I'm chasing the the head scientist for the CIA, who I think is the guy who briefs the president, who briefed Donald Trump. And the story they're trying to put out now, they're leaking this stuff into the UFO community. The idea is the idea of the portal, that they're moving from point to point in space and that this is, uh, they're sort of multidimensional. It's almost like more multidimensional, although it does take a physical aspect. They can come in and become like ET type things, but it's much more complex than just ets so are we talking about uh are we talking about wormholes here are we talking about stargates what are we talking about we're we're, we're talking about portals and and apparently there's actually a guy in the united states this guy's name is joe firmich who's a dot-com executive who we know we knew for 20 years was big time into ufos who Mm -hmm. i am told by two different sources that he they have got this technology and it appears that the the americans have back engineered this stuff and they actually have these things where you can move in to the other side. You need permission from the other side to come in. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like a dream. It's like a, you can manifest when you're on the other side. But it is how they move from, from one point to another. They're not flying through time and space at the speed of light. They are moving through these wormholes or these portals or zendras or whatever you want to call them. And I really didn't believe this until six months ago when I, I heard this story that they had this portal 
And I talked to a producer in L.A. who had been set up by the CIA to do a documentary on this. And I said to him, well, what's it for this portal? He said, oh, it's for real. I said, it's for real? And uh, we've gotten a number of confirmations that, yes, they actually have this technology. And they're actually trying to leak it to the, the American public. For example, if you follow uh, Twin Peaks, there's mm-hmm. six TV shows. Twin Peaks is one where they're dropping this idea of the portal. They're putting it into TV shows and they're trying to get us accustomed to the fact that this is how they're getting here. Could this just be Hollywood at its best? Well, Hollywood has to have their ideas. They get their ideas from various people. So, Mm -hmm. as I said, I have this producer who was set up by the CIA to do this documentary and bring in the portal idea. And uh, this portal idea, there's actually a, a thing that happens on the Internet uh, maybe once a month, where the guy who briefs Donald Trump, his wife, mm-hmm. is running a go-to meeting, and they're basically talking about, or openly talking about portals, mm-hmm. and everybody can go to this meeting, and nobody shows up, but they're doing this, they're doing this right out in the open. They're, uh, okay. they're not even hiding this. But how do you know the producer is telling you the truth? You know, producers work in, in a land of fiction. You know, why would the CIA, who has no jurisdiction inside of the USA, be involved in a movie? Wouldn't this have something more to do about national security instead of the CIA? The CIA working in concert with a producer in the United States on the mainland makes no sense. Well, I was even offered. I was offered an in. I was told you can. the U.S. intelligence has said to contact you. All right. And I, I was talking to this producer, and I said get out of here. I'm not even an American. Mm-hmm. And he said, no. And he said, and I know who the guy is. The guy's name is Dr. Ronald Pendolfi, and you can look him up. And I've written a lot about him. And I wrote my last book. I wrote piles on him. Yeah. And um, he uh, is the, the guy that's, that's setting up this this documentary. And I've got it from a number of different sources. There's also a guy by the name of Jim Semivan, who was a briefer for the president, who has confirmed that the portal the portal idea is is for real. So Hollywood has to get their ideas, and, and this is the idea with Steven Spielberg. If you're following the Tom DeLonge story, uh, Tom DeLonge is a famous rock musician who's uh, uh, sold 35 million albums, and he has 10 sources inside the government, and I know who six of these sources are, and they are feeding him material as well to try to get these these ideas out. Now, they, they, they couch the stuff with, with fiction, and that's how they get it out, because if they wanted to disclose as I said, they would go to the New York Times and the Washington Post and they would disclose. If they wanted to cover it up, they would just shut up and not talk about it. So they're not covering up and they're not disclosing. They're doing this drip, drip, drip thing where they're dropping this. And, and I wrote the book called Managing Magic, where I go back through that back to 1944. Right. And Grant. I show they've done it piles and piles of times. They've Grant. done it over and over. Grant, stand by, my friend. We've got to take our news break. Nation. Grant Cameron is our special guest this hour. And Grant has a new book out, Charlie Red Star, True Reports of One of North America's Biggest UFO Sightings, and it's uh, it's published by our good friends at Dundurn. If you'd like to find out more about uh, Grant, just go on to Amazon.com, Grant Canyon in the, uh, Cameron in the search engine, and away you go. We'll be back. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Exo Nation, welcome back. Grant Cameron is my very special guest, and as I've been saying, Grant has a new book out entitled Charlie Red Star, True Reports of One of North America's Biggest UFO Sightings. It was released, it's going to be released in um, August, uh, I believe it's August the 12th in Canada and September the 5th in the United States. So congratulations to you, uh, Grant. Oh, thank you. Excellent yeah, job, my friend. Yeah, it actually is. I'm, I'm kind of happy because, as yeah. I said, it's been uh, 40 years since wow. the book was written. See, good things happen to those who wait. <laughs> yeah. But li- listen, Grant, I understand that these sightings happened over a two-year period? Uh, about two years, yeah, a little wow. under two years, yeah. What did the what did the government officials say? What did uh, the Canadian Minister of Defense say? What did... Um, Wait a minute. During during that time, wasn't Paul Hellyer the defense minister? No, that was in the 60s. Ah. He was uh, defense minister. Paul has talked a number of times mm-hmm. um, about the issue, and I know Paul very well. And he has told some, some interesting stories. But when he was in, mm-hmm. he said he wasn't really interested. He was putting all the mil- the uh, different armed forces together, yeah. unifying them. Yeah. And he said he the, the stuff had come across his desk, but he really wasn't all that interested in the phenomenon. It wasn't until after when he wrote a book by Philip Corso that he got into it. Right. And he's actually even confirmed that um, he was contacted. I don't know if you heard this story. He told it last year. Uh, by a guy who was on his deathbed. He, an Air Force guy phones him up and he said, the head of emergency management is dying. He's got ALS, he's got Lou Gehrig's disease, mm-hmm. and he's got something he's got to get off his chest, and you're the guy he wants to tell. So Paul doesn't phone the guy, and then the Air Force guy phones back and he says, he's about to go off the cliff, you better phone him. So he phones this guy, and the guy says, it's true, it's all true, and I, I need to tell somebody. He said, I was contacted by the CIA. I was taken to Langley. I was forced to sign my life away, signing papers, and I was given a briefing. I was told the whole story, and I was actually allowed to go to Area 51, and I was actually inside a craft. And um, he said to Paul, he said, I just wanted to let you know. And this makes total sense because if there's a disclosure, like they're doing this drip, drip, drip thing. Mm -hmm. But if they suddenly the story gets out of control and they can't control it, one of the key people that they have to contact is the head of emergency management because you're going to have to put money in the banks. You're going to have all sorts of things happening that that you've got to be able to control. And that would make sense that this guy would be told. So Paul actually has this confirmation uh, wow. After he's the defense minister, that yes, this thing's absolutely for true, and there are very limited numbers of people mm-hmm. in Canada who are told the secret. Okay, why not? Uh, something I can't understand, uh, Grant, and maybe you can help me understand this yeah. better. With all the computer hacking that has been going on in the past number of years, I mean, besides the guy in Great Britain, how come yeah. WikiLeaks? How come none of the other hackers in in the United States or in anywhere else in the world have not been able to? bring any evidence forth that there you know that the United States you know is actually withholding information about the UFOs okay well I'll give you two two reasons um uh, number one if you look at the WikiLeaks all these sort of stuff mm-hmm. what they're getting what you're seeing leaked is uh uh, confidential and secret material. You you really aren't getting any top secret. And this stuff is all above top secret. It's all compartmentalized. It's got code words after it and stuff like that. That kind of stuff you never get leaked. The same as people say, well, the, the president, uh, why doesn't the president talk? Well, the president mm-hmm. doesn't leak anything about anything. He's, there's, he's told millions of different secrets and he doesn't, he doesn't mention any of this kind of stuff. So it's so highly compartmentalized. There's a, a guy whose name is Robert Landry who was the air advisor to Truman. And this is 1948 february of 1948 is brought in and he's told by truman one of your jobs 
for me is you're to go to the CIA, you're to get all the the flying saucer reports, and you're to give me an oral briefing every three months. So already in 1948, they knew. Don't even write it down. Most of the really, really top secret things are, are not really written down. And I would say the number of people who know the whole story is going to be like a handful of people. That comes down to this idea of an MJ-12, mm-hmm. that there's only maybe 12 people who know how this all this stuff fits together. It's need to know. So you only know the little bit that you're working on, and it's very highly compartmentalized. In fact, the Canadian government, when I studied the Canadian government at the beginning, uh, the Canadians had gone to the Americans in September of 1950 and said, what's the deal with flying saucers? through the military liaison at the Canadian embassy, and it came back as a top-secret document. It's one of the few top-secret documents that have been released in any country on UFOs. It said, we were told by the American officials, uh, flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States, rated two points higher than the hydrogen bomb. So the hydrogen bomb wouldn't even be developed for another two years. It is the most highly classified subject in the United States. So there are probably like a handful mm-hmm. of people who can actually put it together. People like Henry Kissinger has been named and various people like this who would be people who know how the whole thing fits together. And very few people, even up in the, the president's executive office, would, would know what's going on. Would the president know? The president, I say, knows because the president is in charge of everything. He's the head of the military. He's the head of all 17 intelligence agencies that we know of. If you're dealing with a foreign power, if you're dealing mm-hmm. with aliens, the only person that can tr- make a treaty or deal with them is the, the head of state. The president is the head of state. You can't have a GS-13 negotiating with aliens or a foreign power. So he is at the key thing. He's the chief executive mm-hmm. officer of the government. Yes, he knows. And the reason everybody thinks he doesn't know is what is the whole game is plausible deniability. It's the same thing. This is Dr. Ronald Pandolfi says a lot of things, but nothing's on the record. So I, I wrote a book and I talk about him endlessly. He has not made a comment. He doesn't really care what I say about him because I can't prove anything. Right. So it's this plausible deniability. And the reason that they want you to think the president's an idiot is mm-hmm. the same reason they want you to think that Donald Trump doesn't know about Russia because it's plausible deniability. You're never going to tie the president into Russia. You're never going to tie him into Iran-Contra. And you're never going to tie him into UFOs because it's plausible deniability. The president has to be kept secret because if you think it's a cabal, if you think it's some uh, magical guy that's running the UFO thing, you're going to spend the rest of your life running down dark alleys Mm-hmm. With that are dead ends. Everybody, if you suddenly find out it's the president, you know where the president is. They don't want you asking the president. They want you to think the president doesn't know. He's the Wizard of Oz. He's the guy running the cover-up. All security, all classification is not done through law. It's done through executive order. It comes out of the executive office of the president. All the security, all the classification is run by the president. He knows everything. He has no security clearance. He can see whatever he wants. And they want you to think he's a dummy because they don't want you asking him about it. All right. So let's let's just uh, let's just take a look at this for a second. If the UFOs have been part of our history, and I'm talking global history that we know of, going back to 1947, yeah, and way before then, uh, you know. But let's use 1947 as the benchmark. Yeah. Why is it of such importance that so many people spend so much time on it when? Obviously, they don't mean any harm to us. They've never attacked us. So why why spend all this attention? Why spend all this research? Why spend all your 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 time trying to get to an answer that the odds say you'll never get? 
Well, they have uh, they have developed a lot of this technology. They have got it, and it's the old idea. Mm-hmm. Like somebody once asked me, like, why don't the Russians and Chinese like they? This is only a United States phenomenon where they're actually sort of leaking this material out. In the rest of the countries, everybody keeps quiet, and it's a game of of of, of poker and bluff mm-hmm. where you don't want to put your cards down because you may have eighty percent of the answer. If you put your cards down, you may give the Russians or the Chinese the 20% they need to have 100% of the answer. So everybody's playing this game. And if you realize the importance of what's going on here, you're talking technology where you basically – you can't shoot them down. You can't control them. They, they can come and go wherever they want. They've abducted the president of the United States. I've got two stories where they abduct the president of the United States just to show that they can do it. It's got to do with consciousness. So they can actually go into your head. They can make you think. For example, the Phoenix Lights. You remember yeah. the famous sure. Phoenix Lights yep. story? Mm-hmm. 10,000 people saw it. Nobody reported it in a newspaper for three months. They basically blanked out everybody's memory that people uh, – didn't remember what they saw. This is tremendous control. So if you're the military and you can see this kind of technology where you can actually go into somebody's head, put a message in someone's head, mm-hmm. block their memories, uh, abduct people at will, this is the kind of technology that they will do anything to protect because you don't want to give it to Al-Qaeda. You don't want to give it to China or Russia or, or you want to control this. If you control this technology, you control the world. We're the good guys. That's the idea. We're the good guys. You don't want to give it to the bad guys. If we're the good guys, we're going to control it, and we are going to make sure that nobody else gets this technology. Grant, you said that two presidents were kidnapped. Who were they and when? One story is Bill Clinton. This is 1994 at the Coronado Hotel. The other one, we really don't know. This was told by, uh, apparently, Jim Semivan told this story. And this was uh, an incident that occurred at a news conference where they completely, Mm -hmm. if you know the technology, they can actually shut down everything. So they shut down the entire news conference. Everybody was frozen. The president was abducted. The president was brought back. And then the president, of course, reported, "I, I, I was abducted. And um, nobody in the room knew this had happened. We the the name of that person wasn't wasn't mentioned, but we do know from um, the one time they were going to disclose was 1991. This is uh, New York City. There's a famous story with the uh, the Secretary General of the UN. Perez de Cuellar uh, was abducted out of a convoy of 20 cars. And this was story was written up by Bud Hopkins, the famous uh, abduction researcher. And there was a lot of evidence to indicate that Perez de Cuellar actually got taken. And that's the kind of technology you're looking at where they can basically pick you out of anywhere and shut everything down around you. And, and, and as for example, Jim Semivan, who's a, a presidential briefer, who's an experiencer himself, he, he had these beings in his room. Um, he was asked by a, uh, a guy Who's running? Because it was the idea. Like, who, what government agency is running this? Who's running the show? And Jim Semivan said, they are. They are completely in charge, and we really don't have much control over what they're doing. They show us what mm-hmm. they want us to see, and it's so advanced. But we do, we do have some of the technology. We have some of the portal technology, from what I understand. And we have um, some of the, uh, the ideas of the energy but in terms of controlling what they're doing and stopping them, they are still totally in control of, of the situation. We cannot control them. We cannot determine what they're going to do. They are running the show. Unreal. So if, 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 if President Clinton was, was kidnapped, who kidnapped him? Where did he go? Well, this is the, the story that's told is that they basically take – take you and they uh they, they'll you know bring you on board the ship for an hour or whatever uh but one of the things you got to realize is that and i always say this about ufo sightings that people will talk about abductions but yeah. if you have a sighting 
I say you're part of the game because when the when the intelligence behind the phenomena wants to be uh, cloaked, mm-hmm. when they abduct people, nobody sees them, which means that when you see the UFO, you're part of the game. And B- Jimmy Carter clearly said that he had a UFO sighting and it was one of the most dramatic things he had ever seen in his life. And Ronald Reagan reported two sightings. And the second sighting, according to Shirley MacLaine, and she confirmed to me that this was not a misquote from her, she said that Lucille Ball told her that the president, his second UFO sighting, was uh, along the coast. Everybody knows the story, but the the part that was never told was that it was actual encounter with an alien, that the he had an actual face-to-face encounter with an alien. So you take a look at that, where you have presidents who have had these UFO sightings, and then you start to wonder, are those presidents being controlled? Are they actually running the whole show? So you have sighting presidents who the rumor have been abducted, and then you have presidents who openly admit that they've had UFO sightings. And I say, if you if you've had a UFO sighting, you're part of the game. This is not an accident. Why do UFOs have lights on them? They have lights on them so you can see them. If they, we don't have lights on our planes, if they didn't want to be seen, they'd turn the lights off. Which brings us to another point: if these people want to, you know. If these people want to do covert uh, surveillance on this planet, why would they leave their lights on? Something doesn't make sense here. Well, well, they're not doing covert surveillance. They're basically here to give a message. They're... Whoops, sorry about that. The producer's just letting us know that we have to take our final break. Please okay. stand by. ExoNation, Grant Cameron is our special guest. He's got a brand new book that's coming out in August here in Canada in September in the U.S., Charlie Redstar. True reports of one of North America's biggest UFO sightings. Check him out on Amazon. Just type in Grant Cameron in the search engine. I'll be back on the other side of this uh, commercial break with Grant as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone. This is the X-Zone Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Welcome back, everyone. Grant Cameron is our special guest, and uh, Grant has a new book. Out, it's uh, being published by our friends at Dundurn. The name of the book is entitled Charlie Red Star True Reports of One of North America's Biggest UFO Sightings. It's going to be released here in Canada on August the 12th and in the United States on September the 5th. Now, just something that, I, that I'd like to, 
to question you on, Grant, is yep. uh, in the previous uh, segment you said that the Phoenix Lights, which were, um, let me see, March 13th, 1997, were not reported yep. or put in the media until when? Uh, I think it was July. Middle of July was the first report in the media. Mm, unfortunately, fact, no, 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 no. I, I I need to correct you here. Okay. Because the first report, the first pay, print coverage was on March the 14th, 1997 of the Phoenix Lights. The, it was written by Laura Hinchy of the Daily Courier, Prescott, Arizona. Then the New York Times uh, did the article on March the 15th. And then there was an article in USA Today on June the 18th. Okay, I stand corrected. Yeah. Yeah, there's a video that you can take a look at on, um, it's Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the Kurt Russell video? Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, okay, so Kurt Russell, this is two years later, and he has this this uh, this blanked out um, thing where he suddenly mm -hmm. realizes that he was the pilot that, that had seen this thing. So it's this kind of this kind of idea that they can basically block. You you'll have people will describe. I had one in Northern Ontario of a, of a, a girl mm -hmm. where they're going down a road and suddenly um, the, the UFO is behind the car and it's in front of the car and it's beside the car and whatever. And I always stop these people when they tell these kind of stories and I always say the same thing. I said, "Was there any other cars on the road?" And everybody says the same thing. No, there was no other cars. Was it a busy highway? Oh yeah, there's always cars on the highway. But this night there was no cars. And the same as uh, when John Lennon had his sighting in 1974, May Pang, uh, May Pang, who was with him, talked about the fact that while this was on, she was yell they were yelling and screaming, and there there was people that should have been coming up from the deck below because they always mm -hmm. were on their deck and they were yelling and screaming, and nobody was paying any attention. She said everybody, all the apartments out uh, that she was looking at were all vacant. There was nobody home, and then she said this idea came in her head oh well everybody's gone to the hamptons and we asked her about this didn't that sound strange to you and it's called the oz effect where when you're in the middle of this ufo thing everything changes like time and space stops all the people disappear it's just you and the ufo and it's that idea with the phoenix lights that people were reporting this thing where they 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 knew about it but they didn't talk to the person beside them. They, they didn't really uh, mention the thing. And then these, it started to come out later on that all these more and more and more and more people had mm -hmm. seen it. So it's this idea of this control of consciousness that they have that it's not just a simple sighting. And, and what I would say as we ended the last segment is that my impression after 40 years that all this is signaling. This is not aliens who just happened to find our planet. They're here because we detonated the atomic bomb. That's why we had so many sightings in Manitoba in 1975. That's why they visited all the, the, the weapon storage areas at all the Air Force bases because we had lost the Vietnam War. We had no more troops in Southeast Asia, and we were thinking about we might have to use the nuclear weapons. That's why you have cattle mutilations, and I differ from every on cattle mutilations. Oh, well, wait, wait a second. Well, hold on here. Let's, let's go back a second. Why do we have yeah. cattle mutilations? Cattle mutilations, all cattle mutilations, according to David Perkins, who's got the, apparently the best um, catalog of them, mm -hmm. are all downwind and downstream from nuclear power activities. They're all west of the Rockies on the on the plains. And he said he ta refers to a 1997 study done by the National Cancer Institute, which shows high uh, um, high cancer rates in those areas. Uh, which he says are, which they say is according to the the above ground nuclear testings that was done, and he and Perkins says if you take that map from the National Cancer Institute, put it on top of the the hot spot area for cattle mutilations, it's a direct match. So people have this idea that you know they're here and they're uh, you know doing these evil things to cattle, and the mm -hmm. whole thing is to me this is all messaging. It's like you you you're basically saying 
you're contaminating the planet. There's even a girl in, and you probably won't be able to get the interview, but if you remember the um, the the case with the the 62 school kids at Ariel School in Rhodesia in 1994, and these kids are this UFO is is there, and these kids are all getting downloaded this message, all these messages. There's one girl who her parents were Salvation Army ministers. She actually lives in Hamilton, and she's had a number of encounters since that. She was one of the kids there, and she talks about these these messages that were being downloaded to her at a very high rapid uh, pace with about us technology, about us not u- um, using technology properly. And the girl beside her was getting downloads of. of ecological messages that were destroying the ecology of the planet so you have these people 40 i think 39 percent of all experiences according to the big survey done by the edgar mitchell uh foundation that looks at experiences mm-hmm. four thousand experiences 39 percent are getting these environmental messages they see the screen and they're being shown how they were destroyed destroying the world so that's what i in after my experience that's my own personal opinion is that this what this is is all messaging they're really not here to take over the planet there's very little physical about what they do it's basically people getting messages Mm -hmm. and they're trying to get ideas across to us indirectly once again i I have to ask why doesn't the government just come clean Uh, isn't it better to tell the people what the truth really is unless unless the government really knows for a fact that UFOs aren't real, that this is some core, some sort of phenomena that is being experienced. And what is the possibility that, that a lot of these aerial phenomena are actually military experimental aircraft, either from our side or the other side? Oh, yeah. Some of them are going to be military aircraft, oh. but some of them, they're, they're, there's no way they have this kind of technology. I mean, I, I have a friend, for example, we all know 13% of all people, experiencers claim that they've been allowed to fly the ship. I have a very close friend, and I've talked to 36 people who've flown the ship, and they all say the same thing. I say, how do you fly a flying saucer? And they all say the same thing. You do it with your mind. And so I've got a very close friend who gave me a five-minute description of how you do this, how the, how the operation works, what you what you do mm-hmm. on board the ship. He told me he was having a meeting with the U.S. Air Force general who wanted to know how he did it. If they're asking him about how he, how he flies the ship, they don't have the technology. The way he describes it is very, very complex technology. The ship is actually bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. The ship actually changes shape. It changes on the inside. There's these hexagon things that start, start to spin. You start to listen to this guy describing how this thing works. This is very, very complex technology. And as for why they wouldn't release it, I give 64 reasons. I wrote the book called Managing Magic where I go for the 64 reasons why they would not want to disclose it. And there's a pile of reasons. If you're the president, there's no way you would do it. Okay, let you're, me, not gonna, whoa, whoa. you're not going to give it to Al-Qaeda. You're not mm-hmm. going to give it to ISIS. You're not going to give it to the Russians. You, this is going to – the technology here is going to make okay. nuclear weapons look like matchsticks. All right. Let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let's get back to yeah. cattle mutilation for a second. Yeah. In um, – I believe it was – I think it was 2002, there were a rash of cattle mutilations down in Argentina. Yeah. And – they happened without any nuclear. Uh... Well, we don't know. I, I know about the ones, mm-hmm. but there is a reason. Like, so why why Argentina? Why That's are there right. no, no cattle mutilations anymore? It's basically not doesn't happen anymore. Nineteen seventy five, mm-hmm. when I had my sightings, there was the highest number of cattle mutilations ever. It was the highest peak. It's and you see these patterns. So cattle mutilations have have, have gone off. You didn't have crop circles. Then you have crop circles. Mm-hmm. Landing traces where you, where they burn out the path the right. the, the crop leave them. 
that hasn't happened for 20 years. You can see they're going through these patterns. It's almost like they're turning the pages of a book, and we, we see different things. We saw in, in 1936, we saw they looked like rockets. Then they were green fireballs. Then they were Adamski-type mm-hmm. crafts. Then they were classic flying saucers. Now they're triangles. They're just moving through yeah. through patterns. You know, and, and, and another thing that you said that I found funny was that there had been no— that that uh, where did you say all the cattle mutilations occurred in the United States? United States, west of the Rockies. Okay, but then how come there were the cattle mutilation cases in South Dakota, in Missouri? That's west of the Rockies. That's east of the Rockies. Or east of the Rockies. Sorry, east of the Rockies. Okay. My mistake. All right. There was right. not. There was okay. really none west of yeah, the Rockies. That may have been the odd thing, but then you're looking at yeah. whether it's a scavenger or whatever. Right. I'm just I'm just using David Perkins' okay. stats. All right, because that that kind of threw me when you said east, uh, you no, know, no, west of the Rockies. That's a mistake. It's west yeah. of the Rockies. Okay. It's 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 it'll be you know uh, uh, Nevada, sure. Utah, yeah. Colorado's big in the in the, uh, in the cattle Dakota industry area. In the cattle industry area. In the cattle, and they, and from what I understand, mm-hmm. they do not go after cattle in feedlots. They only go after free ranging cattle. Okay, and that would make sense because you really don't care about the cattle that are eating grain. You want the cattle that are eating the grass. All right, hold on here quickly. I've got two minutes left. Tell me about yeah. crop circles. Uh, crop circles. Well, crop circles started. It's basically a, a, a UK phenomena. And again, it, to me, I, I see that as messaging. They want us to think. They really don't want us. Uh, they're not giving us direct message. If they wanted to give us a direct message, they would land on the White House lawn and tell us what's going on. Sure. They're doing the same thing as the government. They're doing this gradual acclimatization thing that they don't want to to spill the milk and and because people aren't ready. No matter what anybody says, you don't need 100 percent of people to panic. You only need two percent of people with a lot of money yeah, to start to short the I, stock. I, I right understand. There. I understand that. But if you're saying that the ETs are giving us messages in crop circles shouldn't they give us a message that we can understand no but that's not how the, if you if you wanted to do that they would land on the white house lawn and tell us what's going on it's done it's done with breadcrumbs it's mm. slowly moving you down the road if they wanted to tell you what was going on they'd land on the white house lawn and tell you the same as if the government wanted to disclose they would get cnn and fox news and they would have a news conference well i don't that's know if anybody, i don't know if anybody would believe anything that's on cnn these days since they've slid down to number 13 in the ratings so anyway, well, whoever, I mean, yeah. whoever, New York Times, Washington Post, whatever, have a major news conference. They're not disclosing mm-hmm. that. They're definitely not disclosing. The aliens are not disclosing. The aliens are not covering up. The government is not covering up. They're hey, both doing this gradual acclimatization. All right, thing. Grant, you and I have to say so long for tonight. I want to thank you so much. Congratulations on your new book. And Exonation, if you'd like to find out more about Grant Cameron, if you'd like to order his books, which are going to be, well, there's books on Amazon.com now, but if you'd like to order his new book, Just go to the search engine on Amazon.com and type in Grant Cameron. I'll be back on the other side of this break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.